Hi, this is Brad Orsted. Welcome to season two, episode two of Take It Outside, my podcast about healing in nature. I want to let you know that while I was away in between the last episode and this one, I also did a two-part podcast with my friend and fellow wildlife advocate, Kim Bean, on her show called All Things Wolves and Wild. Kim's on Apple, on Google, on Podbeam, on all kinds of uh, platforms, and we had a very intimate two-part conversation about all things wolves and wild. So check it out when you get a sec. So once again, welcome to Season 2, Episode 2, entitled The Crow Sweat Hot. By the summer of 2012, I had been surrounded by wolves, nearly gored and trampled by bison as I learned to navigate Yellowstone's ungulate population, and a grizzly bear had changed my mind about wanting to be consumed and crapped out somewhere beautiful. I had been hired as a guide in Yellowstone, I had been fired as a guide in Yellowstone, and I had been rehired as a guide in Yellowstone all within about five months. I was still self-medicating in that summer of 2012. I had accumulated some prescriptions before I left Michigan, knowing that once I got to Yellowstone, I would once again have to go to the local doctor and tell them my whole story again, which I had told so many doctors and therapists and counselors and attorneys and insurance agents and so I'd asked my doctor in Michigan if there's any way they could please stock me up because I was heading to the wilds of Yellowstone and I didn't even know if maybe stuff was going to have to be airlifted in so of course they gladly um, wrote me as much as they probably legally could so about four months into it five months into it I was starting to run low however when I knew I was coming to Yellowstone I had been buying some prescription drugs off the street, off from people I met at bars or at job sites that I was drinking beer with. And it was funny, I would tell them the same things, my symptoms, like I would tell a normal doctor and then they would produce some kind of pills that I didn't even know what they were. And I'd ask them what they did and how much they were. And and I'd buy them and just throw them in a bag just in case. I mean, I was a guy that wouldn't take ibuprofen for a hangover. I just didn't like pills and I'd never liked them before because I didn't know what they would do to me, how they would react. I was I was a beer drinker and I, I didn't want to mess with that stuff. But here I was two years after losing Marley and I was a complete prescription pill addict to the point where I'm buying stuff I didn't even know and stashing it in a bag for a rainy day. And so now I'm in Yellowstone and I'm starting to run out of my normal prescription. So I dig that Ziploc baggie out with all the pills that were different colored and shapes and sizes and so I'd start drinking some beers and before I would lay down I'd just pluck out a blue one and a yellow one and an, and an orange one and I'd take the three of those and go pass out somewhere. I didn't even know what they were. I remember they told me when I bought them but I was probably so buzzed that I didn't even know. I didn't even care and for all I know I was taking birth control and goat laxatives they could have 
they could have been giving me anything. I had no idea. So I'd have my beers and then take a couple goat laxatives and, and go pass out. So I knew it was probably time to make an appointment with the doctor. So I made an appointment for a couple months later, hoping that I had enough to stretch it out, not envying having to go in there and once again, tell my entire story to a complete stranger. On the first day of my three-week certified interpretive guide course in April of 2012, a guy in a wool vest and a handlebar mustache and a cowboy hat plopped down at the vacant seat next to me and introduced himself as Sweeney. He had a mischievous and gregarious smile and he just radiated a really good positive energy, so we became fast friends. One night after dinner, Sweeney told me how he was a fifth-generation Montanan, which was kind of rare for a white guy with Irish genes. His family had come here back in the day to mine the miners to sell supplies to them. He also told me that growing up in Bozeman, Montana, his best friend was Crow Indian, and that Sweeney had learned about their culture and their ways and had actually gone on to get a master's in Native American studies. He also told me that after his own battles, he had been sober for years. It was refreshing to have a, an honest and open conversation with someone that was about 20 years older than me, so he was kind of like a cool uncle that I could talk to. So I told my story to Sweeney of growing up in, in Indiana, and of being active in the church and thinking maybe that's what I wanted to do when I grew up, and I had one beautiful study Bibles by memorizing verses and winning contests in front of the congregation. And I really thought that my calling may be in the church until I got a little bit older and our assistant pastor had a had an affair and he had to admit it in front of the whole church. And it was about the time I was getting old enough, nine, 10 years old, where I was starting to open my eyes a little bit. And I saw a lot of very, very non-Christian behavior and in my family and in my friend's family and and really right up into the doors when they walked into church. So, you know, I really felt like, I think they call them Sunday Christians, but I was seeing that happening and I was drawing a lot of parallels between the church and my home life. So some of the things that I, I saw going on at the church that were maybe lies and double standards and hypocrisy, I was starting to see at home too until my sophomore year when my mom started staying out all night my dad eventually just packed his truck up and left at that point i pretty much gave up on church and family and school i drifted away from my friends that i had grown up with that were doctors and lawyers kids and professional kids and we visited campuses together and looked forward to going to college together and i i started drif drifting away from the church and I fell in with a new crew of dysfunctionites who are, who are also from broken homes like I was now. And, and they worshiped at the altar of cold beer and rock and roll. So that's where I was headed. A couple of years after barely graduating from high school, while all my friends were at 
Indiana University, Bloomington, and Purdue, and Ball State, I was in the trailer factories of northern Indiana. And to escape the gloom, I started visiting the libraries of northern Indiana to find things to read to take my mind off my hellish life. So I first started reading the, the beat writers, Kerouac and Ginsburg and Rex Roth, and I wanted to be Neil Cassidy. And that led me to reading Gary Snyder, which led me to reading Native American books until I finally stumbled onto a copy of Black Elk Speaks. Reading that book changed the way I viewed the world and my place in it. I felt like for the first time in a long time, I was reading a Bible again. I was reading lessons on how to live our lives. And it reminded me very much of what I admired about Christianity was just Christ's life, to live like that, to live close and humble. And it reminded me so much of that. I told Sweeney how after reading these books and I had made a pilgrimage out that I had actually met Lauren Black Elk in Boulder, Colorado, and he took me to Pine Ridge on, on a couple of occasions and, and showed me what it was really like up there at Pine Ridge and, and took me to Wounded Knee and he took me to Bear Butte. His family was beautiful and loving and kind and they had nothing and they shared every bit of it with me. And I was so touched. And I asked Sweeney if he thought maybe there was any way with his connections that he thought maybe that if I could get into a sweat lodge that it would help me with my grief and my trauma and my addiction. Sweeney looked at me kind of flatly. Maybe it was because I was intoxicated at the time. But he told me he'd see what he could do. And we just kind of left it at that. In August 2012, Sweeney calls me and says that he'd spoken to his adopted crow family, the old coyotes, and that they were going to let me camp with them that year at Crow Fair and that I should come over. And I said, that sounds awesome. What's Crow Fair? So Sweeney went on to tell me that Crow Fair was a hundred plus year old tradition that the crow people put on every year. There'd be a parade in the morning and a powwow at night and vendors and games and events and contests and thousand plus teepees and people from lots of nations there. And it would be a great opportunity for me to get an introduction into crow culture. And so with that, I loaded up my truck and grabbed 89 North leaving Gardner, Montana up through Paradise Valley and to Livingston, Montana. Is there that I would grab 90 East, blow past Billings, and as you leave Billings, you exit 456 on I-90 East towards Sheridan to get to Crow Agency. Leaving Billings, you head up this big, long, tall hill. One of those where the transmission isn't quite sure what to do, so it kind of shifts back and forth, kind of until you finally punch it and just get to the top. Once at the top, the land lays out onto a rolling prairie of bluffs and buttes and gullies and piney ridges and rocky outcrops and the sage and scrub views forever that are so emblematic of the American West. 
For me, this is the land where the horse should have been born. The history is so recent in Montana that less than 150 years ago, life was pretty much the same as it had been for the previous 10,000 out there on the prairie. I mean, this was the land of Sitting Bull, of Crazy Horse, of Plenty Coos, and Two Leggings. It seemed that if you squinted hard enough and long enough at one of those bluffs in the distance, you could almost see a lone warrior on horseback. Turning off the highway at Crow Agency, there was a nasty storm building to the west over the Bighorn Mountains. Crow Agency was bustling. The wind was blowing up dust and there were dogs and puppies and kids on bikes and kids bareback on ponies and horses and street vendors. And they're all securing their awnings with the impending storm coming in. I followed Sweeney's directions to a spot near the Little Bighorn River. And it was there that I got my first sweeping view of the campground with hundreds and hundreds of teepees and arbors and awnings and walled tents. And true to the crow culture, there were horses everywhere. I found camp, I found Sweeney, and met some of the old coyotes who were kind enough to invite me to come camp with them on, on their land. Sweeney also let me know that very famous Crow artist, Kevin Redstar and, and his family were camped right across from us. I would come to really appreciate Kevin's work. That night we ate, we visited, and it was the first time I slept in a Crow teepee on Crow land. The next day as we were sitting around visiting, a truck pulls up and a great big tall Indian gets out and yells, Sweeney! And Sweeney goes up and starts talking to him and they're kind of looking at me while they're talking, so I'm not sure what this is about. And the guy leaves, Sweeney comes back and he said that he had been invited to a sweat and he'd asked them if it would be okay if I came along. He told them what happened to me and what I was going through. And so they said, bring him along and we'll try to, we'll try to clean him up and pray for him. So Sweeney said, grab a towel and meet me here in five minutes. With that, we jumped in his forest service suburban, a retired one, and started speeding down some gravel roads going deeper and deeper into the reservation. I was watching these painted hills and bluffs disappear and looking out the side mirror with a trail of dust behind us and realizing that uh, this was starting to get real. This was not reading Black Elk Speaks on the steps of the Boulder Library for the second or third time. This was about to happen. Right about then, Sweeney looks at me and he said, a couple things you should know before we head in. Number one, the crow sweat hot as hot or hotter than any of the Plains tribes. Okay, I said. Number two, the crow sweat naked. So you're gonna be in there with some sweaty naked Indians. I said, okay. I said, number three, once you're in there, you cannot leave. 
no matter what happens. If you pass out, try not to fall face first on the red hot rocks. And when we open the flap to take a break, we'll drag you out. And I said, that's, that's enough. You can, you can just <laughs> stop talking now. Thank you. Um, Mike could sense my nervousness. So he handed me a cigarette as we were both smoking and speeding down the reservation road. Sweeney looked at me and said, just remember why you're in there. I looked at him. He said, you're in there to find some healing for the death of Marley and for all of your family and for everyone who was hurt by this. And even though you won't understand the words that are being said in there, the words are holy. Old Horn has agreed to pour for you for your first sweat. He is a very venerated and respected elder of the Crow tribe. You should be very honored. And he'll be speaking in Crow. And his words are holy. So when it gets hot and when it gets intense and when it feels like you're going to pass out or you can't make it, think about Marley. Focus on why you're there. Listen to those holy words. We turned down a long driveway with a house that was tucked up against a butte, some cottonwood trees, some outbuildings, several vehicles, and of course, horses. I looked up and saw the same tall Indian with long braids that had visited our camp. Sweeney and I got out of the truck and started walking up. These two started talking in crow. Just then, an old man, probably in his late 60s, came around the corner in a towel with short black and gray hair and introduced himself as Old Horn. Sweeney introduced me to him. This is Brad. This is the one that we had talked to you about be joining us today. And Old Horn looked at me and he said, Where are you from? And I said, I live in Yellowstone. Now, this was something for the past five or six months. I had always been so proud to say that I lived in Yellowstone. And when I said it to Old Horn this day, he just kind of looked at me and he said, Oh, you live on my land. It was the first time I wasn't proud to say that I lived in Yellowstone. You like baseball? He said to me next. I used to. I used to play it. I used to watch it. He said, you know what the hot corner is? I said, yeah, third base. Old Horn said, yeah, you'll be on third base today. He then turned and looked to Sweeney and Tim and started speaking in a mixture of crow and, and English. It sounded like they were just kind of catching up and shooting the breeze. Standing there looking at him, I realized the stark difference between the, the four of us. Those three looked like they were there for a sweat, cutoffs and towels and clothes that looked like they were ready to go. I had on Hawaiian shorts with a floral towel and the ultimate white guy tourist footwear, the Chaco sandals with my stark white feet. 
They look like they were there for a sweat. I look like I was headed to a public beach. Old Horn then looked at Tim and Sweeney and started speaking in Crow. Everything about him had changed. He was all business now. Sweeney and Tim were translating for me what Old Horn wouldn't translate himself in English. But he said it was a good day, that what we were about to do was sacred and holy, and that we enter this sacred sweat lodge on our hands and knees, naked, and in the same direction as the sun. As he's speaking these crow words, he's pointing to us and to the sweat lodge with his mouth. Sweeney then looks at me and he said, since I was on the hot corner, that I'd be going in first. As we rounded the big cottonwood, I looked over and there was my first sweat lodge. I'd read so much about him and heard so much about it and visualized it in my head so many times, but there it was just a humble little structure with some tent tarps and some blankets thrown over it in the dirt facing the painted butte behind it. Sweeney nodded at me, said, drop your shorts and enter. And so with that, I dropped my Hawaiian shorts in front of the spirits and a holy man and I got on my hands and my knees in the dirt and I crawled back into Mother Earth's womb. Well, that's all for this episode. And yes, I'm going to leave you hanging from a sweaty cliff. But please join me on the second part of this episode to find out what happened in my first sweat lodge on Crow Agency. And until then, don't forget to take it outside.